Will you please turn to the book of Acts? Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive remission of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith in me. And then Acts 20 Acts 20, verse 32. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give to you an inheritance among all the sanctified. And finally, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read from verse 9 through verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, for the administration of the fullness of times, to head up all things in the Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. In him, in whom we have also obtained an inheritance, being marked out beforehand according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who have pre-trusted trusted in the Christ, in whom we also have trusted, having heard the word of the truth, the glad tidings of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, he have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance, to the redemption of the acquired possession, to the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which is in you, and the love which ye have towards all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you of my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to the full knowledge of him, being enlightened in the eyes of your heart, 
so that he should know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what are the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength in which he wrought in the Christ in raising him from among the dead and he set him down at his right hand in the heavenlies. May we have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we do rejoice in thy presence, thanking thee for giving us this opportunity that even in the last hour, Lord, thou art still mindful of us. Thou want to prepare us ready for thy imminent return. Oh, dear Lord, as we gathered here, we do pray that thou will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to the full knowledge of God. We do confess, Lord, that by ourselves we cannot, we will not be able to really understand and to enter into all that thou hast in thy heart. Oh, dear Lord, grant to us thy spirit of wisdom and revelation. To each one of us, Lord, enlighten the eyes of our heart that we may know thy will we may be brought into all that thou hast ordained for us that thy glory may be praised we commit this time into thy hand and trust thy Holy Spirit to quicken thy word to our hearts we ask in thy precious name Amen. Well, thank God for giving us such an opportunity. I always feel that any time that we are able to gather together in his presence, it is the mercy and grace of God. Who are we that he should treat us so mercifully? I believe that everyone here knows what our, our theme is. Spiritual inheritance. Our dear brother Dana gave us a most comprehensive view of what spiritual inheritance is. And this morning, by the grace of God, what I will do is try to fit in with some of the details. Brothers and sisters, 
Spiritual inheritance is not a small thing. It is not something that we, his children, should ignore. Because spiritual inheritance is closely related to the eternal purpose of God. Brothers and sisters, anything that is included, related to the eternal purpose of God is something of tremendous value, not only to us, but even to God himself. We know that even before the foundation of the world, before God created anything, before God did anything, the Bible tells us that before time was, God purposed a purpose in his heart. And what he purposed is according to his good pleasure. Because this is what he wants. This is what pleases him. This is what satisfies his heart. As you find in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that what he has purposed even before the foundation of the world, is that all things one day will be summed up in Christ, in his beloved Son. God does anything, everything, for his beloved Son. He wants his son to gather up all things. He wants his son to be the head of all things. He wants to see his son to be the heir of all things. He wants all things to express, to manifest, to glorify his son. And that is the eternal purpose of God. Brothers and sisters, always remember, we are not the center of the universe. We are not the center in God's eternal purpose. The center of God's eternal purpose is His beloved Son. But thank God, in His beloved Son, he has included us. So this is why you find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 said, In whom, that is in him, in Christ Jesus, ye have also obtained an inheritance. So we know that our inheritance is obtained in Christ 
and through Christ. According to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. And God will work it out. In order that we should be to the praise of his glory who have pre-trusted in Christ. So here you find that our inheritance is included in the eternal purpose of God. It is because of his son. It is in his son that this is the will of God that we will all inherit that great inheritance in and with Christ. He has given all things to Christ. And it is also his will that we will be co-heirs with Christ. That we will receive that inheritance which he has given to his beloved son. Spiritual inheritance is not only in the eternal purpose of God, but it is also in the full salvation of God. So you remember when God called Paul to be his apostles. He told him that you are to go to the nations to open the eyes of the people. To deliver them from Satan to God. That they may receive remission of sin. Now brothers and sisters I believe we all are familiar with that. And we thank God for that. That it is because of our Lord Jesus. He has opened our eyes. He has translated out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We thank God that our sins have all been remitted. It is because of the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. We are thankful for that. But brothers and sisters, there is more than that. It says that for the remission of sins and the inheritance with the sanctified. So you see here it is clearly stated to us that not only the remission of sin is in the salvation that we received, but in the same salvation that God has prepared for us in Christ Jesus, there is an inheritance given to us among the sanctified. So spiritual inheritance is part of the salvation of God. 
You remember in Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul gave his last word to the elders in Ephesus. He said how God will strengthen them by his word of grace that they may receive the inheritance among the sanctified. So, brothers and sisters, based on these two things, I think it should give us a very clear understanding that spiritual inheritance is not something that we could neglect. Unfortunately, this has been the case to many believers. Many of us, how we are joyful, how we thank the Lord for having our sins remitted, having saved us. But we forget. God's provision is far, far more than just getting saved. He wants us to share the inheritance that has given to his beloved son. You know, God has this matter of inheritance from the very beginning. As our brother mentioned last night, even when he created Adam, our first father. He had that in view. And you can see this even clearer when you come to the life of Abraham. I believe, brothers and sisters, we are all familiar with the story of Abraham. How the glory of God appeared to him. And God commanded him to leave his country, native place, his kindred, his land, and to go where God will show him. And by faith, Abraham obeyed, and he went forward. Then you find in the whole life of Abraham, there are two things most prominent. God promised him a seed. And then comes God promised me a land. When he arrived at Canaan, the promised land, he discovered there were Canaanites already there. So God strengthened his faith by telling him that your seed will inherit this land. And for that he built an altar to express his faith in God. Then again you find when Lot chose the best part of the promised land. 
God comforted Abraham. He said, look, raise your eyes, see, south, north, east, west. And whatever you have seen is yours. Now get up and walk over the land. God encouraged him that God would give him that inheritance. And then you also remember how after his war with the four kings and delivered Lot, You know, oftentimes after a great victory, there will be a great letdown. He got the great victory through the Lord, not through himself. But after he won the great victory and began to think, my, what have I done? Then I will be surrounded by all these enemies. And what could I do? And you remember how the Lord encouraged him? And God even made a covenant with him to encourage him. Now we know a covenant is a contract. The reason why you find in this world a contract is so important. It is because men are so independent. You cannot trust what they say. You have to put it down in black and white and have it sealed. Then it began to have some effect. But God is always true. He doesn't need to make any contract with anybody. What he says, he does. But because of the weakness of our faith. You know how God condescends himself to make a covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham, not only he will have a son, and his seed shall be as the stars of the heaven. Abraham believed. And this was counted to him as righteousness. Then God asked him to kill some animals, separate them, pour on two sides. Now this is the way the covenant was made in the old days. They will kill some animals divide into two, put them on two sides. And the two parties that are to make the covenant will walk through that sacrifice. And that, the covenant was sealed with blood. So God asked Abraham to do the same thing. God covenanted with him that he will give him that promised land to encourage Abraham. So you see how it is the will of God. He knows how we are forgetful, how we are little in faith. 
Sometimes we waver, sometimes we doubt. And he made a covenant with us to strengthen our faith. And this promised land was promised to Abraham by God. And because it is promised, it has to be received with faith. But then you find in the history of the children of Israel how God delivered them out of Egypt, brought them into Sinai, and there God made a covenant with the children of Israel. He made with them a covenant by the Ten Commandments, the law. In other words, here God gave a law to the children of Israel to make them a nation that belongs to him. Now why did God give the children of Israel the law? Will they be able to enter into the promised land by keeping the law? No. We find that after the law was given, the children of Israel failed to obey the Lord. And because of their failure, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So you find in Galatians chapter 3, it is said, now if the covenant is made by God with them through promise, then will the Lord, who was given 430 years later, will the Lord effect that promise? The Spirit of God said no. But why is the law given? The Lord is given that we may know our transgressions. We may know our sins. Brothers and sisters, the one thing is we do not know ourselves. We think we are able to keep the law. We think we are able to do whatever God's will is. So that's the reason why God's law is given. Law is given for transgressions. And in the wilderness they realize how weak was their flesh. They just couldn't obey God. And if it was only by the law for them to inherit their inheritance, they never could do it. They wander in the wilderness because of their unbelief. The first generation died in the wilderness. But thank God, there were two persons. Joshua and Caleb, they trust the Lord. 
and because they have a different spirit. Therefore you find eventually they are the two people who enter into the promised land. And maybe another thing we may forget. You know it is very strange when the first generation among the Israelites pass away. How about the tribe of Levi? That God has separated for himself. It seemed to me that eventually in the tribe of Levi you do find that by the grace of God they also enter into the promised land. So you find that it is eventually they enter in not only by law but also by mercy. Another covenant God had made with the children of Israel by the plan of Moab. It is law with mercy. So eventually they got in. Now brothers and sisters, why do we relate all these things? Because we know what is recorded in the Old Testament is for our advocation, admonition. It is for our benefit. Because we are no different than the children of Israel. Even though God has given us better covenant, and yet we are no different from the children of Israel. It is all by the mercy of God. Now what is our spiritual inheritance? As our brother briefly mentioned last night, actually our spiritual inheritance is a double mutual inheritance. In other words, it is not only that we may inherit but at the same time, you find that God may inherit. We inherit what God has provided for us. And he has inherited us as his own glory. So dear brothers and sisters, this matter of spiritual inheritance is a tremendous value. We have already mentioned that God's purpose is to make his son the heir of all things. But thank God, in Romans chapter 8, it says, we become the children of God and as children, we are co-heirs. And if we suffer with him, we shall be glorified with him. So remember, the inheritance, basically, is Christ. It belongs to him. But because we are joined to him in one spirit, 
we become his body. And that is the reason why we become co-heirs. We inherit all that he has inherited. God has given all things to his beloved son. Brothers and sisters, we can never fathom how full is that inheritance. The Bible said all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. And ye are complete in him. So who can describe the fullness of the Godhead? Nobody can. We know God is love. But how much is that love? How immense is that love? How great is the love? How long-suffering is that love? How free is that love? How generous is that love? We do not know. We have only tasted a little bit of his love. And his little bit is almost overwhelms us. But God is love. And all that love is in Christ. And Christ belongs to us. Brothers and sisters, when we think of inheritance, usually what we think will be, well, the kingdom. One day our Lord Jesus will come back. He will establish his kingdom upon this earth. He will rule over this earth. And we, as his co-heirs, we will rule and reign with him. Just as the Bible said, you can rule ten cities or five cities, and together with the kingdom we think of the crown. Well, you can be crowned with the crown of life, with the crown of glory, and we always also, in connection with the kingdom, we thought of the throne. You will sit on the throne. Brothers and sisters, we are thinking of all these wonderful things. But to put it in one word, what is our spiritual inheritance? It is Christ. That is our spiritual inheritance. Because all the other things are related to him. And we will inherit all these things with him. So we, when we think of our inheritance, we do thank the Lord because this is something way beyond that we can even think about. That's what God has provided for us.
But this is not something strange. Because we know what God is, we know what Christ is. But the strangest thing is that He will take us as His inheritance. And you find in Ephesians chapter 1, He says, verse 18. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, unfortunately, when we read Ephesians chapter 1, most likely, when we read about the prayer that Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus, that God will give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation to the full knowledge of God, having our uh, eyes of our heart being enlightened, that we may know. Now, what do we know? That we may know our inheritance. No. It is saying we may know the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now that's something surprises us. When you read Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now we know this matter of sealing is a practice in the old days. In the old days when people go to buy wood, they will go to the forest and then they will look at all the trees, the trees that they wanted to buy. And what would they do? The tree that they want to, wanted to buy, they will put their seal upon it. So by that seal, you know that this tree belongs to a certain company. So when they cut down the trees, they know where the trees belong to. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what God has done to us. When he saves us, he put his seal upon us. And the seal is the Holy Spirit. So that's the reason why when you believe in the Lord Jesus, not only your dead spirit was quickened into a new life, not only Christ will come and dwell in your new spirit, but you'll find that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus, he has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come into our new spirit as a seal that God said, now, you belong to me. You are mine. So that's the reason why the Bible said, we are no longer ours. We belong to him. He has redeemed us. He has bought us with a price. He has a seal upon us. 
The Holy Spirit is a seal. And because he is a seal, so you find the Holy Spirit has been reminding us all through our lives, don't forget you don't belong to yourselves. Remember, you belong to God. In our daily life, whenever we want to do something, whenever we want to go somewhere, whenever we want to make any decision, the Holy Spirit as the seal of God, He will be impressed upon us and said, now, what you are going to do, is it the will of God? What you are going to say, is it what God wants you to say? Where are you going? Is it what Christ wants to go. What you have decided to do is it Christ will do. Brothers and sisters, we know we all have this kind of experience. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the seal of God in our lives. And he is claiming the one who possesses you. Now, unfortunately, brothers and sisters, oftentimes we neglect the indwelt Holy Spirit. We do not listen to his still, small voice. We do not walk according to the light that he has enlightened us. We have the anointing within us who will teach us in all things great things and small things. And if we follow the anointing, we abide in Christ. That is the only way to abide in Christ. I remember years ago, I was with some young people, and I asked them, now how can we abide in Christ? And young people gave me different uh, answers. They would say, well, abide in Christ, you say, you have to pray. Now, so sure, prayer is a channel. You have to read the Bible. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But brothers and sisters, to put it very simply, the only way to abide in Christ is to hear the anointing. Is to let the seal of the Holy Spirit put his sealing upon you, reminding you that you are no longer yours. You are his. And that's it. But strangely, as I read on, I find that in verse 14, he said, the Holy Spirit is not only the seal, but he is the earnest of our inheritance. Now, earnest simply means down payment. I think this is very familiar with us today because when you want to buy a house you first put, on, put down a down payment. So that down payment shows that you are going to buy that house. Remember the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. 
You have received the Holy Spirit. And in receiving the Holy Spirit, you have paid a down payment. To say that this is your inheritance. Now do you realize that the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the down payment of your inheritance? Now if you neglect your down payment, you may lose your inheritance. But because your down payment is already paid, so you will see to it that you will pay all the other payments in order to really inherit your inheritance. So this is another side. We must realize that the Holy Spirit is our down payment to our inheritance. So you cannot neglect your down payment. You cannot forfeit your down payment. You should continue on paying in order that you may get the inheritance. Now I say these things why? Because do you notice in the two places, passages that we quote in Acts about inheritance. It's a remission of sin and inheritance among with the sanctified. Now do emphasize the word sanctified. Our inheritance is God's promise. And God's promise is grace. But don't forget, there is the other side. God has promised it. God has made every provision for it. And yet, on our side, we have to receive what God has provided. In other words, God has promised. But if we do not believe, if we do not receive, if we do not respond, then God's promise is still there, but we are not qualified to receive God's promise. So here you find the word is sanctified. Not only justified, but sanctified. In other words, not only because you are saved, therefore, one day, you will inherit inheritance. You will reign with Christ. You will have the throne of life. You will sit on the throne, crown of life. You will share all the glory. No, brothers and sisters. You have to be sanctified. And by sanctified, it simply means set apart for God. So are you sanctified? The down, down, down payment is paid. 
But are you continuing paying? If you are not continuing paying, you forfeit your down payment. And you find in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-three, the peace of God, the God of peace, will sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body, and He will preserve you blameless at the coming of the Lord. So, dear brothers and sisters, you find there are two sides. And there is another way of reading verse 14. Uh, we are told there is another way of reading it. In verse 13 it said, Having heard the word of the truth, the glad tidings of your inheritance, in whom also ye have believed, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Then quotation, who is the earnest of our inheritance? End of quotation. And then you read to the redemption of the acquired position to the praise of his glory. In other words, define the connection of the Holy Spirit sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise is with the redemption of the acquired position to the praise of his glory. That is to say, it has to do with his inheritance. But in the parenthesis, you have this, who is the earnest of our inheritance. Now, if you read it that way, I think it will make more sense to verse 18. So the one thing that really surprises me, when he says, if we really have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and have the eyes of our heart be open, what will we see? We will see the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now do we see this? I think we will see the riches of the glory of our inheritance in Christ. I think we see this in part. I won't say we see it all. Because we are continuing in seeing it. But to think that one day we will see the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now who am I? If I know myself, will I be the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Do I not feel like a wilderness? A barren land? So I often think that In that exchange, we got the better part, and God got the worst part. <laughs> we have Christ, and what riches is that? What glory is that? 
but he has us and what are we? Even though by the grace of God we are saved. Barely saved. Just like one brother said, if I two, my two feet was within the gate of heaven, I'm satisfied. Poor lot. Nothing there. No riches. No glory. Full of shame. Just think of that. That he will consider you. He will consider me. As glory. Not only glory, but the riches of glory. What love must be behind it? What grace must be behind it? How much working of the Holy Spirit in us must be behind it? He can make a desert a Beulah land. And he will consider us as his treasure as his inheritance and he feels himself glorified in us can you think about that that is something that often makes me wonder this is the will of God this is what God wants for his son. You know, humanly speaking, I wonder if anyone here has that faith that it shall be done. That is true. So when you read Ephesians chapter 5, what do you see there? We see that one day God will present the church to his beloved son. A glorious church without spots or wrinkle or any such thought. In other words, one day the church will be a glorious church. Today, when you look at the church, what do you see? You see shame all over. You see spots everywhere. You see wrinkles, aging, weakening. All kinds of weaknesses. But the Lord said, He will continue to love us. He will continue to wash us by the washing of the word with the water 
You know the words, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us will continue to speak to us, to plead with us, to bring the word of God to our memory. And his life within us will continue to cleanse us, wash us, until all these spots are gone, all these wrinkles are gone. All these shames are gone, and nothing left but glory. A glorious church, fit for the glorious Christ. Now isn't that marvelous? That's what God wants to do with us. When you think of New Jerusalem, in that New Jerusalem not only everything speaks of God, the glory of God, but you find everything is so transparent, nothing hidden. Everything is life, tree of life, river of life. Wherever you go, that river goes. Wherever you go, the trees are there. Brothers and sisters, this is our blessed hope. One day, he is able to fulfill that. So dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord give us such a revelation, something that we see beyond us, that we really see that one day the grace of God will so work in each and every one of us that we may become a glorious church, fit for the glorious Christ. And one day we will be a part of the new Jerusalem. So brothers and sisters this morning, all I want to share with you is simply this. By ourselves, we cannot do it. But not because by ourselves we cannot do it, so we give up. Don't forget, God is able. He is able to do the impossibles. We are the impossibles. If we can confess that and allow him to do his work in each and every one of us, brothers and sisters, you will find that glorious end. So it is, here we are. The question is, with God, nothing is impossible. With us, nothing is possible. <laughs> but if we can really give ourselves over to God and let him work in us, it will be possible. 
So may the Lord strengthen us and give us that desire. Not just hearing a message, but giving ourselves into the hands of God and let him work out his full salvation. Not just for our own sake, brothers and sisters, for the sake of God. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, all we ask is give us vision. Vision of yourself. Vision of what you have accomplished. And with vision of what the Holy Spirit in us will accomplish. Oh Lord, we confess we are nothing. Worse than nothing. But you are truly everything to us. Do pray that thou will exercise our hearts. That we will no longer depend upon ourselves. No longer neglect so great salvation. But inspire us by the Holy Spirit. That we will really surrender, put ourselves totally into your hand and allow your skillful hand to work out that marvelous work to satisfy thy heart and in that Lord we are more than satisfied we give the glory in thy precious name